Podcast, a podcast where we chat true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you a considerably weird distraction from your everyday life. I'm one of your hosts, Alex. And Christy. And this week we are back talking true crime. But as always, before we dive in to the episode itself, we have to discuss what we need a distraction from. So Christy, can you hit us up with what you need a distraction from this week? Yes. So there's a couple things. Um, first off, I moved to my house. Happy. Great. Love yes, it. It's already homey. A lovely house. I'm obsessed with it. Really appreciate Alex helping me move and all. But um, so I don't have any internet. It's been a week. It's been a long week. <laughs> it's been a long week. Not that I depend on it, but... Kind of depend on it. Uh, my phone bill is already $4 over charge. Also, um, work, we have construction going on. Ew. So we have like one next week room and the doctors keep ordering stuff and it's just mind boggling how busy it is. So work early sucks right now so you've got internet problems you're adapting to a new house and work is an utter dump uh, utter dumpster fire yeah why does it saying the word utter sound really <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable you say utter uh utter utter utter, utter, <laughs> utter utter i'm gonna keep this in fuck it we're going live yes anyways, anyways yeah. alex no, your my, my turn oh my turn your turn um my need for distraction is work also because mm-hmm. people aren't doing well. It's prime time for seasonal depression, so everyone's kind of, you know, not doing well. Literally sad, SAD. Yeah, so I need a distraction from the fact that it's just been busy this week. It's been a busy month already, and I've only worked two months. Two, two months. I've only worked two months. Um, <laughs> I've only worked two weeks out of the month of November, and I feel as if I haven't stopped working since the day I was born. So, yeah, I'm tired. Oh, you did have a week off at the beginning, didn't you? I did. I did. And it was glorious. And I wish I could go back and I can't. <laughs> so, yay. Working for <laughs> a living. I hate it so much. At least you work from home lately, so for the most part. Yeah, that's true. But it's just... It still sucks. It still sucks. But anyways, mm-hmm. enough about us. We know what our need for distraction is. Yes. Now it's time to actually talk about the distraction. Yeah, give you guys your distraction now. Yes. So, um, apologies in advance. This one is also a bummer. Uh, it's a very sad case. Probably always. Yeah, mostly all of our true crime cases aren't going to be happy. I am looking at doing something in terms of true crime that's not murderous at some point. I just haven't decided what case. Thought- There's not murderous true crimes? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, I don't know, I, I kind of want to cover like a laundering, like a money laundering case oh, or, you know, a jewel heist, but I want to do something that either no one else has done yet or that... It's not like overly big. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's a lot of our episodes I find. Mm-hmm. I we try to not do the big cases. They over glamorized. <laughs> yeah, the ones that get all the spotlights. So yeah, stay, just stay tuned. Bear with us. I'm, I, I'm... Doing some research. I'm looking into it. But regardless, this week's case involves an unsolved Canadian homicide that took place almost 45 years ago. And it took almost 45 years to identify the victim. But, yeah, I know. But hopefully it won't take as long to identify the killers or killer. Hope so. 
This is the case of Gordon Sanderson, a.k.a. Septic Tank Sam. I can already tell why there was no identification for so long. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give a quick trigger warning as we will be discussing details of torture, which some may find difficult to hear. So as always, listener discretion is advised. We need a soundboard. <laughs> that will be our next investment, I swear. We're just going literally, or like Halloween. Oh, yeah, the John, John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of it right now, or else I won't <laughs> get it out of my head. Anyways, let's talk about Gordon Sanderson, shall we? Please. So, Gordon Edwin Sanderson was born on October 22nd, 1950, in Manitoba. Little is known about his life prior to the tragedy, but what has been made public knowledge is that he was part of the 60s scoop. So in a direct quote from the Canadian Encyclopedia describing the 60s scoop, quote, the 60s scoop refers to a large scale removal or scooping of indigenous children from their homes, communities and families of birth through the 1960s and their subsequent adoption into predominantly non-Indigenous middle-class families across the United States and Canada, end quote. Well, that's depressing. Yeah, well, and the practice of taking Indigenous children out of their homes did occur prior to this, but things seemed to maybe ramp up a bit more around that time period, kind of hence the name. So, Mm The kidnapping of children, let's be real. Basically, yeah. Basically, it it was kidnapping. Let's not not sugarcoat it here. Took place long before the 1960s. But Mm -hmm. because there was, I don't know, maybe more documentation around the 1960s about it or what have you, or just more publicly known kidnapping, I don't really know. I'm not 100% sure. Regardless, that's why it's called the 60 scoop. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Not, uh... Not a good look on Canada or the States or really anywhere that practiced it. So the way that white folks treated and, you know, continue to treat indigenous people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our race kind of fucking sucks. I'm not going to lie. Disgusting. Yeah. Anyway, so Gordon was taken away from his family at age nine and placed into foster care. All we know further is that by the 1970s, he was residing within Edmonton, Alberta, presumably out of the foster care system. According to reports, Gordon had struggled with addictions along with run-ins with police, which I mean, he's traumatized, obviously. That's my assumption would be... Well, yeah, you've just been abused your whole life, basically. Well, yeah. Since and you've been kidnapped. Except, well, that's the thing. And I mean, obviously anyone is going to try at that point probably to cope with their trauma with addictions, like mm-hmm. with alcohol or other substances. Oh, yeah, you want to forget it, really, or numb it in some way. You can tolerate it. Exactly. So at this point, I can imagine that Gordon or Gordy, to his friends and family, was more than likely trying to forget the traumatic experience of the 60s scoop, as I just mentioned. Uh, however, the trauma wasn't over with. Gordon was heading out to Calgary from Edmonton sometime in 1977, supposedly to visit his younger brother, Arthur. Some time had passed and no one reportedly had heard from Gordon, which then brings us to April 13th, 1977. Unidentified human remains were discovered within a septic tank at a former abandoned farmhouse approximately 13 kilometers away from Tofield, Alberta. For our geographical enthusiasts, Tofield is approximately 68 kilometers east of Edmonton, and before 1865, the area was inhabited largely by indigenous folks until, you know... We stole the land. Yeah, white people came and fucked fucked everything over. Uh, The body was discovered when Charlie McCloy, then owner of the property, they were... Charlie owned the property, but they weren't living on the property. It was kind of like just a property and land they had with an abandoned farmhouse on top of it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if they were farming on the... It doesn't matter. Anyways, so Charlie finds the body as he was trying to locate the old septic tank for a pump. While investigating, 
Charlie had noticed a brown shoe attached to a leg sticking out of the muck within the septic tank, according to a CBC News article. The leg was attached to a deceased body, which had been reportedly been wrapped in a yellow bedsheet and bound with nylon rope. Investigators were called in, which one of them described the scene as, quote, one of the most vicious, vindictive, and sadistic crimes that they have ever seen. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's not going to get good from here. Uh, in terms of what was seen at the scene, for investigators to describe it as such, I'm just going to give another trigger warning because it's going to get graphic. I'm going to use a direct quote, so if you're feeling a little... Easy. Yeah, maybe skip ahead. Just, just a little bit. But in a direct quote from the Canadian Unsolved Crimes page, quote, The body had been tied up and beaten while the torturers burnt the body using a small butane blowtorch and cigarettes, mm. which were noticeable on the remnants of the victim's clothing. The body had been sexually mutilated, and an autopsy had revealed that they had been shot at least two times in the head and chest before being thrown into the septic tank, head first, which was partially filled with water. They were then covered, they being the, the body, mm -hmm. were then covered in limestone or quicklime in the murderer's attempt to dissolve the body and obvious sense associated with it, thinking that this would speed up the decomposition process, end quote. So there was just water in the septic tank? Yeah, so it was just a little bit of water, I think, at the bottom of the septic tank. Oh, so yeah. they were expecting to be filled with other stuff that would break yeah. down the body some more. Yep, and then there was... I was wondering why there was so much detail still left, but I was like, oh, if there's still skin or whatever yeah. going on, then that's what makes sense. Yeah, it was, I mean, from what I gathered in my research, it was still pretty mutilated. Mm -hmm. It was dissolved to bones all No, things, no, yeah. no. So, however, according to the Canadian Unsolved Crimes page, the attempt to speed up the decomposition process had an actually different effect. Essentially, due to being submerged in quicklime and water, the body became more mummified than decomposed. Mm. So, officials believe that the body, now referred to as septic tank Sam, had been in the tank for approximately four months. However, some speculated that it could have been longer given it was harder to decipher specifically due to kind of the mummification process of it all, right? Mm -hmm. Even though the body had been almost preserved in the tank, it was still challenging to identify who septic tank Sam was due to the horrifying mutilation the body had encountered, as well as not having any identifying features further that linked up with anyone reported missing at the time. So our previously mentioned friend, Gordon, or Gordy, was not reported missing by friends and family around the time that septic tank Sam was discovered, which before anyone starts pulling judgments or anything. I just want to remind folks that it was a different time where, you know, we weren't as connected as we are now. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have... The, it was the 1970s. People didn't have cell phones. You weren't checking into places. Young kids would go walk to so-and-so's house concessions away and be yeah. like, that's normal. He'll be, yeah. he'll be back for dinner or he'll be back tomorrow. Exactly. Because I know when I first read this and was like, well, why didn't anyone report him missing? Because mm -hmm. he didn't show up in to meet with his brother in Calgary, I think it was. You know, I was like, well, what what, what, what the heck? Why, why didn't anyone report him missing? But you have to remember it was a different time. We weren't as connected mm -hmm. and we weren't checking in with one another as yeah. much. I mean, I'm not dismissing that they probably weren't worried about him, but... Yeah, so like you'd be like, oh, let me throw him a text or yeah, whatever. Exactly, kind of exactly. Yeah. And eventually, uh, Gordon's sister Joyce did report her brother missing in the early 1980s. However, wouldn't hear any reports for some time. Mix that all together on top of the time frame. It somewhat kind of makes sense that maybe they didn't realize Gordon was missing at the time that septic tank Sam was in fact, you know, discovered. So when was he discovered? He was discovered April 13th, 1977. And she didn't report her brother missing until the 80s. Yes. 
Okay. I again, I'm not judging based mm-hmm. on time, like timeline for months if he's been missing, but years. He, well, the thing is, is that apparently Joyce wasn't. I don't know if the family had like a falling out or they just were kind of not talking. Okay. But they they lost track of one another basically. Okay. So I think eventually maybe Joyce and Arthur reconnected and they're you know oh like Gordon never showed up what you know not only that but he also had interactions with the law prior to this incident mm. so I don't know if maybe they just assumed that maybe he was in jail or maybe he went somewhere else it didn't seem like he was you know it didn't seem like he had a job at the time I don't know I'm, this is just my assumption he didn't have a job at the time I don't know if he was in a relationship I don't really know if there was any responsibilities that would keep him to have to follow like a yeah. schedule do you know what I mean it, it doesn't sound great when you say oh she didn't report him until the 1980s yeah. but when you kind of look at it with a but is it would this be common of him just to kind of go quiet for a bit? Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> exactly. Not only that, but then investigators, as mentioned, were having a hard time identifying who the person was. So at the time when they found septic tank Sam, I don't think anyone put two and two together that it was Gordon right away. Mm. So it's not as if they were releasing any hugely identifying clues that maybe would have kind of spoken out towards the family. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, oh, we found him with like this specific jacket. Oh, Gordon was wearing that jacket when he, he went to you know, go to see his brother Arthur and, you know. Yeah, like the state that he was mummified and whatnot, that would have made it hard to Again, get distinguishing features other than yeah. maybe hair color. I don't know. Exactly. Uh, they did have some things to work off of in terms of potentially identifying the body as the victim still had all of the teeth, which some of the teeth had fillings in them. This meant that there was potential for someone to perhaps match the teeth through dental records. Mm. So medical examiners reportedly sent the victim's dental records to over 800 dental practitioners in Alberta, along with having them published in dental magazines in order to try and identify the body. And Unfortunately, this was unsuccessful. Because they weren't able to identify the body as of yet, the body of septic tank Sam was sent to be buried in a pauper's grave in Edmonton. That's where he originally was before he went out to Calgary. For those unaware, a pauper's gravesite is for those that are unidentifiable or unclaimed by their relatives. The victim's body would be exhumed in 1979 when Oklahoma forensic pathologist Dr. Clyde Snow became involved in the reconstruction of Sam's skull in order to try and help with the identification. What year was that? 1979. Okay. Uh, Dr. Snow was able to take measurements of the skull and bones, which were then placed into a computer program. This computer program shed more of a light of who septic tank Sam, aka Gordon, was. Referencing the WTFV article by Kristen Bonavillian, investigators reported that the body was more than likely male, indigenous, somewhere between 23 and 32 years old, and standing at about 5'10". Even though they weren't able to fully identify who this person was, they were able to identify that the victim had suffered some serious illness at around age 5. This was discovered due to marks left on the bones and the teeth. According to the documentation I read, investigators at the time further thought that the victim may have been a migrant worker or a transient or someone who was not a long-term resident at the time, like not a long-term resident of the area at the time, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. They further speculated based on clothing that the victim had been perhaps a construction worker or a farm laborer. The clothing found included a blue Levi work shirt with snap buttons, a gray t-shirt, blue jeans, 
gray wool socks and brown imitation wallaby shoes, which kind of sounds like my father-in-law. I'm not going to lie. As soon as I typed that, I was like, that sounds like my boyfriend's dad. <laughs> <laughs> to a T. So all this stuff was entered to computers in 1979. Yes. And they were missed, reported missing in the 80s, early 80s. Yes. But they still didn't put, like, still wasn't two and two put together. You would be correct. Hmm. Okay. Furthermore, they came up with further characteristics, such as the victim being of medium build, being right-handed, and having dark hair. At this point, though, there was still no confirming information as to who septic tank Sam was. I know we know that it's Gordon because, like, why else did I introduce him earlier on other than he's, you know... The person, unfortunately. It is. But at the time of the case, like when all this was going on, people were baffled. No one knew who this person was. No one no one was no one could figure it out and it was really really challenging to put two and two together not saying it was easy as putting two and two together but do you know what i mean it was it was it was was a challenge just like here's a missing person now later on Mm -hmm. that fits the description but the time there was nobody that fit the description technically maybe exactly and as i can imagine people lost hope in terms of figuring out who this person was and who viciously attacked them that is until 2018 aka 41 years later as many followers of true crime cases may recall, in 2018, Californian cold case investigators had cracked the Golden State Killer case via forensic genealogy. The Golden State Killer, aka Joseph James D'Angelo, was arrested for the murder of 13 people, approximately 50 rapes, and more than 100 burglaries between 1978 to 1986, according to the WTFV article by Kristen Bonavillian. Because of this new crack in such an old case, investigators were probably hoping to try and use forensic genealogy to figure out more about septic tank Sam, aka who is it? Jumping then to 2019, the Alberta RCMP Missing Persons Unit had sent a partial DNA profile to the new genealogy database. However, unfortunately, this seemed to have no luck in terms of figuring out who septic tank Sam was. Mm. But then in 2020, the partial DNA evidence was sent to Othram Inc., which is based out of Woodlands, Texas. When Othram Inc. had received it, they faced a challenge in exploring this DNA due to there being bacteria in it with only a small amount of DNA actually being found in it. Mm. Yeah, so it, it didn't look good off the hop. No, a little like, contaminated. Mm-hmm. However, they were able to work with what they were able to get and were able to create a new DNA profile and further connect with a potential living relative based off of the, this profile. Hmm. Testing against potential familial DNA was done in August of 2020, with results coming in October of the, that same year. There was a match, which meant that septic tank Sam was now identified as Gordon Sanderson. Family of Gordons, including a daughter, were notified that after almost 40 years, Gordon had been identified as the former known septic tank Sam, which is huge. Like, could you imagine after 40 years being told like, oh, by the way, this is your family member? Yeah, for it being such a big case at the time, everyone was was mind boggled of who he was. They're like, oh, it was him. And I mean, on one hand too, we're in such a society that hyper focuses on true crime. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, look how many true crime podcasts are out there. Not <laughs> like, being trying to copycat, but yes. Yeah, there's so there's so much crime. There's so many. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. 
I think it's easy to kind of lose hope whenever time goes by because mm -hmm. new cases are coming every single day, right? Yeah. And I can imagine for his family members, they might have just lost hope and might not have really thought that anything was going to come out of this this former missing persons case, right? After so long, especially. Exactly. But now they, they know it's him. However... There's still more questions. Yes. Yeah. So as of today's episode release, it is unclear who murdered Gordon and why. In a public release from the Alberta RCMP located on their YouTube channel, investigators suspect that the murderer or murderers may have known Gordon personally. I mean, it's a pretty brutal case and I'm not a criminologist by any shape or form, but I, I know my way around a, a true crime episode i don't know i know my I, I know some things is what i'm trying to say yeah but unless you have a weird signature of ways of doing all those things to multiple people for no reason okay or but otherwise they know them like it's a very intimate brutal crime yes. to not know who they were exactly to have all like the shooting yeah. and everything else that happened to them yeah that makes me think that it i, I back up what the rcmp is saying like mm -hmm. i understand they're they're thought process of this had to have been personal. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm coming from. It's a very elaborate signature if it's someone doing something randomly. Yeah. They haven't seen before, obviously, to know. Or you'd see it after. Yeah, to especially, see multiple of it. Yeah, especially if it was a serial killer, which I don't I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, no case has been ever connected to Gordon's case. So mm -hmm. it's, I, I think this was a single act. Mm -hmm. But let me, sorry, let me get into this a bit further. Further speculations point that perhaps they were associates that may have been part of a criminal group within the Edmonton area that perhaps Gordon and used to kind of run with because I mentioned earlier he did have some legal troubles prior mm -hmm. to I don't we don't know what exactly I don't know what he was up to and I don't want to sit here and speculate but yeah it's been documented that he was involved with some not great people and you know he had some interactions with the law right so it could be that maybe he some kind of retaliation or something maybe he tried to get out of it right mm -hmm. you never know it, it there could be so many different scenarios but either way it just it seems odd that this would be a random attack mm -hmm. without there being maybe another one before or after or something similar yeah although nothing new has come out since the june 30th 2021 release date there is hope that if someone does know something, they will reach out to the Toolfield RCMP Police Detachment at 708-662-3353 or to their local police department. Further information for contact will also be posted in the show notes for today's episode. And although I feel hopeful that perhaps justice can be given to Gordon and his family, it really falls back on the notion that someone has got to know something. I mean, how many unsolved murder cases have we covered on this show now? We're too many. Way too many. The pressing. Yes. And I always, always think that, you know, someone has to know something. Someone out there has to know something. And I think sometimes talking about these unsolved murder cases or these missing person cases can shed a little bit more light and maybe encourage somebody out there to consider maybe coming forward with that information. I know we have a huge listening variety right now, mm -hmm. but if it like maybe our podcast meets gets that one person that knows, yeah, like maybe exactly. like knew something that thought was so small, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I should let someone know or something. Yeah, like, oh, I I, I remember. I've seen this person before. I used mm. to see Gordy. You know, I saw him before and he was what, you know. It's that kind of information that could lead to another tidbit of information. We got to follow the breadcrumbs to get to the, I don't know, the final destination. I don't remember that story. The loaf of bread. The loaf of bread. Thank you, Christy. That's just why we're, this is why we have a podcast. <laughs> we fit in each other's sentences. 
I was going to say ideologies, but yeah, that works too. (laughs) But yeah, hopefully if you're listening and you're from the Alberta or even Manitoba area or just anywhere, let's be real. If you're from anywhere and maybe you've heard of this case before, maybe a family member mentioned it to you or what have you, maybe talk to them. Bring up the case. Talk to them about it. The more you talk, the more exposure, the more maybe something will happen. Yeah, exactly. I just hope that, you know, whoever knows something doesn't take another 40 years to make their move and maybe help shed more light on what happened to Gordon. And I hope the Sandersons, along with friends and family of Gordy, are doing well and can someday get the answers that they deserve. So that is the case of Gordon Sanderson, a.k.a. formerly known publicly at one point as Septic Tank Sam. Yeah. So without further ado, I think it's time to shout out my resources. So shout out to the Canadian Encyclopedia for their coverage on the 60s scoop on June 22nd, 2016. Big ol' thank you to CBC for their news article. Man whose burned body was found in septic tank on Alberta farm, identified by DNA 44 years later by Rona Saeed on June 29th, 2021. The Canadian Unsolved Crimes website, uh, which that information was posted on June 6, 2013. The WFTV, which I feel like at one point I put WTF. <laughs> so my my sincere apologies. I swear I do edit my notes. From the what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But you know, that'd be a lot cooler of a name. I'm not gonna lie. But anyways, whichever your name is. WFTV 9 ABC article, Septic Tank Sam, Canadian Police ID Victim of 1977 Torture Murder Using DNA, Genetic Genealogy by Crystal Bonavillian on July 1st, 2021, the Unidentified Wiki page, the YouTube video, Alberta RCMP Historical Homicide Update Sanderson 2021-0630, uploaded by user RCMP GRC Alberta on June 30th, 2021, and finally, last but absolutely not least, thank you to the Medium article for their coverage called Gordy Sanderson, The Tragic Murder uh, and Identification by Natasha Mullins on August 17th, 2021. And I will put all of the resources in our episode notes for today, but it's my time to shut up. <laughs> and my time to shine. Exactly. So Christy, hit us with all of the good information you do at the end of every episode so people know how to support the show. They know where to say hi and where they can just kind of follow along. Yeah. So our lovely audience we have going on here, as always, where to find our show, which you know where because you're listening to us. You're, you're already listening, but... But in case you wanted a different option, yeah. we have Apple Podcasts. You can listen on there if you aren't already. It's a great place to give reviews, mm-hmm. give some ratings, give stars, yeah. give some more exposure. Yeah. There's a weird way that Apple Podcasts does... Like their algorithm. Their algorithm, basically. So the more ratings and reviews we get, the more we get kind of pushed into the charts and into kind of more of the spotlight, which we would like because you know what? I'm just going to say it. We work hard. <laughs> I get to my own horn, but I enjoy our episodes. I, so. Yeah. And obviously you are, if you're still listening at this point, and if you are, my God, what are, <laughs> find a hobby. No, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> Find a hobby that's not our hobby? Oh, okay. No, no, no. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good way to support a podcast for free. Even if you don't leave a rating or review for our podcast, if you want to support your favorite show, that's how you do it for free. And we would like if you do that for us. So yeah. Yeah. Podcast. Five stars. We're great. So other than Apple, we got Spotify, Google mm-hmm. Podcasts, Good Pods, and many other ways for you to listen to shows, as I'm sure you already know. Mm-hmm. Also, other ways to support us for free is on our different social media pages. So TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And that's it. 
it? Yeah, that's it. Oh, I was trying to think it's time to say something. Yeah, it's okay. Anyways, no. Weird Distractions <laughs> Podcast or on Twitter, Weird Distract I won. Also, if you're looking for more Weird Distractions, we have our lovely monetize options if you want to give mm. a little sprinkle to over us. So go on to our Patreon page. You can go in and get searching Weird Distractions on there. We have two tiers. Yes. The different tiers include different things. Yes. Bonus content, mm-hmm. some stickers, some little cards. Lots of good stuff on there. Yeah, exactly. And we have monthly bonus series so we have the weird spam series which is a hoot mm-hmm. i i mean i love it but essentially that series is where i alex and sometimes christy if she can join um, <laughs> i apologize yeah but you know we read all the weird junk email that we get we make fun of it we talk about how to avoid getting scammed we've had some really great guests on the show we've had uh the ladies from pineapple pizza podcast and as well as the ladies from a crime scene tech and a teacher walk into a bar which i feel like i always mix up that name my apologies i am so sorry ladies but yeah we've had them on for weird spam i always end up sweating because i'm laughing so hard so it's always a good time it's always a good time and that's for our top tier folks so if you want to get that you go on yeah five dollars a month usd baby Hit us up. And I'm going to shout out right now to the lovely patrons that are, we do have right now. Yeah. So, Tom, Bailey, Angela, and Johnny Boy. <laughs> Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. You, you mean the world to us. We love you. We love you so much. Did Alex's line. Yes, you did. Also, other than <laughs> Patreon, another little monetized way to show support. We also have Buy Me a Coffee. So yeah. that's a little smaller way again, just to show us some love. Mm-hmm. Get a little donation if you want to. Or you can also go over to Redbubble. We have a variety of merch on there. You can get any kind of one of our logos, basically, on anything you can think of. You yeah. Just search it up. Again, weird distractions. And lastly, we would like to hear from you guys. Yes. As always, we are looking for our listener distractions episodes to kind of build up and release one to you another one yeah <laughs> one more just one more um again we had an original one back in june so if we would like to give you some more of that stuff so just if you can think of anything or share with anything of a interaction a dream something weird something you want to share we would yeah. love to hear from you guys and we want to share with all of our listeners yeah and it doesn't have to be anything major you know if you're sitting on a weird dream that you had a couple weeks ago like a really weird dream i don't know maybe you're writing a, a unicorn into a mall with a sword and you're, you know, stabbing pineapples. I don't freaking know. Whatever you were doing or whatever you think is weird in your books, email it our way. As long as it's not, you know, disturbingly graphic, I will read it. Almost censor it, but it depends. Yeah. (laughs) And oh, and you know, if you have any true crime specific stories, the only thing I ask is that it's nothing that's active in court right now. We've never been subpoenaed. I've never experienced a subpoena, but I actually recently listened to the one in Crime Gals, and I think they have because of their um, their bonus uh, episodes that they do where they do coven confessions. Yeah, so don't do that to us, please, because we don't want to go to court or have to release all of our information to court. So yeah. Or we'll screen it and we just won't share it. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah. No thanks. No thanks. But yeah, if you have any paranormal stories, maybe you've been to a haunted castle recently, maybe you have uh, an ant and an MLM pyramid scheme kind of thing that seems a little bit like a cult, we want to hear about it and we want to feature it on an upcoming Listener Distractions episode. We do have some kind of saved away, but we're looking for more. So if you have emailed us, please know that we do still have it. We appreciate it. We're just waiting for more. So encourage your friends, family, your coworkers, your boss, whoever to email us. And Chrissy, where can they email us at? At weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Perfect. And I think that is it for today's episode. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Yeah. Like I said before, if you know something, 
Speak it. Speak your truth. Speaketh. Speaketh. And if you need a distraction. We got you. Bye. Bye. the host of Reverie True Crime. I tell stories of helpless victims, vicious killers, predators watching their prey before they strike, survivors, petty crimes, people we think we know who do the unthinkable, and the dangers that lurk not only in the dead of night, but in plain sight and the light of day. Every once in a while, I'll also tell stories of the frightening paranormal, elusive cryptids, haunted locations, and conspiracies that may be silly or thought-provoking. You can listen to Reverie True Crime wherever you're listening to this podcast. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod. Facebook, Instagram, and even Tumblr at Reverie True Crime. Remember, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings at all times, and take care. <laughs>